Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for each person that's here. We ask you to bless us as we look at this. Give us what you would have us to learn from, from this section of Scripture. And we just thank you. And we know that you're in control of all things that are in the future and that you know what's going to happen. And you've got a great blessing and, and grace and mercy for us. In your son's precious name, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Starting at verse 20. And you shall write them upon the doorpost of your house and upon your gates, that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers, to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. For if you shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do, and to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to cleave unto him, then will the Lord drive out all those nations from before you, and you shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place wherein the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours from the wilderness of Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the uttermost sea shall your coast be. There shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that you shall tread upon as he has said unto you. So we're going to stop there and look at this. Uh, we're continuing this idea in verse 20. You shall write them, this is the commandments, upon the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. God wants us to put his word where it's visible for us that we think about it, that we meditate on it. Uh, remember before this, it, in verse 19, it says, You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them while you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, we're to communicate to our children all the time God's truth. And this is something that we need to be able to do. We need to put it in front of our eyes, put it in front of the way we live. When people look at us, they should see the obedience of God being presented. Are we going to be perfect? We've said this many times. No, we're not going to be perfect. But there should be a difference in the way we act, the way we behave, the way we talk, the things we watch, the things we see from the way the, a biblical world point of view sees it and the way that the world sees it. And this is something that's very important for us. How do we judge marital issues? How do we judge uh, kindness? How do we judge the needs of the, the people? The world will say one thing, and I remember last week we mentioned that we will talk sometimes as Christians, God hates divorce, we shouldn't get divorced. And then we talk to a friend who's having a really bad time in their, in their marriage and say, well, you know, you really should get divorced. You just, you just, you just can't work this out. And no, the real thing is you should go get counseling. <laughs> and start doing things God's way. Now, I'm not saying if somebody's being beat, you say stay in that, you know, no, you get out of that, you, you get counseling, you separate, but you're not going to seek divorce because God hates divorce. And, but we need to, in each area of our life, look and say, what does God think about this particular attitude? And this is important for us Christians to be in God's word, listening to his teaching enough to be able to say, this is what God thinks about this topic. Doesn't matter what I think, doesn't matter what somebody else thinks, what does God think about various topics? And what does he think about leadership and obeying government? And this is something that's interesting and we may be facing this very soon in our country if, this, if we keep going the direction we're going and things move against Christians. And then we're going to be in the place where the apostles and the disciples were. It's better to obey God rather than man, but they also understood that God ordained the government and they took the punishment for being disobedient in mercy and grace and they were punished and they accepted that because the government had the right to say that what they were doing was wrong, even though the government was wrong, but they had to submit to the government's punishment even though they were going to obey God. And we have to be careful because I've heard a lot of people, if the government does this, I'm going to just disobey. Why? Well, because I think they're wrong. Well, no, 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 that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say obey, obey God, you know, obey, disobey just because you don't agree with them. It says obey God first. And because Jesus, when, when Peter said, you know, was asked, you know, does your master pay taxes? And Peter said, yeah, of course he does. 
and God says, okay, you said yes, we do. Now you go down and get the fish and, you know, it's going to have the, the money in there and you pay, the, pay it. He didn't get mad at him for it because he was obeying the government and the government said you're going to pay tax, so he did. And we need to be very careful about how we think about things and look and say, what is God saying? If God is silent on an issue, we want to be careful not to try to put words into God's mouth. Uh, I've had lots of people say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about this, so therefore I can say that God says this. Well, no, you can't. God says something or he doesn't say something, and where he's silent, you can't just say this is what, he, this is what he's doing. Now, he tells us to honor the government. He tells us to pay our taxes. He tells us to, to be kind one to another. He tells us to love one another. And, you know, we think about this. The government that we're told to obey in the New Testament now they're going, well, it was a good government. No, it was Nero who was using Christians as flaming torches in his garden. And those were the, that's the government that he was telling people to be obedient to. Okay, It wasn't a nice, kind government to the, to the Christians. They were, they were killing them. They were, they were dragging them out and torturing them. And they're saying, be obedient to that government. So we want to be careful that we look at the word of God. We put his word in, our, in front of our faces. We teach those around us to be obedient to God's word. And it's going to get more difficult, and I can tell you it's going to be difficult. Our world, our government and our world is becoming more politically correct. You know, you can't say things that God says. Well, this is one person who's going to keep saying what God says. It'll put me in prison eventually, but I'm going to keep saying what God says. And I know that I'm going to be put into prison eventually for my, my speaking because I don't, I don't hold back. I say this is what God says. I call sin a sin, and I call... Right, you know, and say we're going, we need to follow God's rules. And so we want to be ready. We want to teach those around us. And this is the great thing. I'm looking forward to the day that any of my married kids decide to have a family so that I can have some grandkids to, to help, you know, help them raise in the admonition of God. Because it's so important. Until then, I'll talk to anybody else that I can talk to and listen. They will listen. But... We need to be able to lift this up. We teach. And I love this verse 19 because this is how Jesus taught the disciples. They walked with him all the time. They got to see how he handled each situation. And we need to be very much aware people are watching us. If it's not our own kids and our own family, it's friends, it's neighbors, anybody that you've opened your mouth and said, I'm a Christian, is watching you to say, how does this Christian handle this particular situation? How do they handle this problem? How do they handle uh, neighbors that are a pain in the neck? How do they handle kids that go wrong? How do they handle being fired at the job? How do they handle four flat tires on their car when they walk out having to go to some place? And they're watching you to say, how do Christians react? And they're looking for us to be different from everybody else. I really truly believe that most people want Christians to be different. They want to believe that, that Christians have something they don't have. The sad thing is they see so many Christians who act just like them, get just as mad as they do, you know, just as same advice, you know, going back to the person who's having a hard time in their marriage and well, Christians will tell them, well, just get divorced, you know, and they're going, well, I thought you guys didn't believe in divorce, you know, and, and, they're, and they're watching us, and I'm picking on divorce just as a, as a pick on, but... You know, it can be just about any topic that you can think of that comes up out there. What does a Christian think about, pick your topic, and what does God say to do on it? And we need to be very careful. We need to live a life that says God is the forefront of my thoughts. And the only way we can make in the forefront of our thoughts, we get into his word. We spend time being taught. We, we, we pray and we listen to God and we talk to him and we study on our own. We study... We study with other people as often as possible, but we make it a top priority to be more biblical or God-centered in our thinking. And this is sometimes very difficult to do. You know, the, very, the first thing you want to do when you, when you come into a very bad situation is not praise God when you walk out and your whole car has been demolished by somebody in the middle of the night. That's not happened to anybody that I know, but you're, this is what I'm saying. If you, if you start cursing and swearing and, and making a whole, you know, I'm going to find out who did it, I'm going to sue them because that's not, you know, it wasn't right, it isn't correct, but if we're reacting the way the world would react, the world just looks at it and says, well, there's nothing special about Christians, it's just 
more hypocrisy, more lies, nothing, nothing different. And we need to be very aware that things are happening. Why should we obey as given in verse 21? That your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land that God swore to your fathers to give them as the days of the heaven upon the earth, which basically is an idiom that means forever. But we look at this. When we are obedient to God, there are blessings that follow. All right? That doesn't necessarily mean great wealth and great material blessings, but there are blessings that follow being obedient to God. One of the greatest I think of is if you're obeying God and not doing wrong things, you have no chance for people to blackmail you because there's nothing for them to blackmail you for. You know, I love Daniel. You know, the, the, his political enemies were watching him to find something they could charge him for. You know, is Daniel skimming from the, from the taxes? Is he, you know, uh, giving the, contract, the building contract to his, to his friends and, and taking a kickback? You know, they were looking for any of the things that happened. And, and we laugh, but those things still happened back then. Even though, even though it was back then, those things still happened. And his political enemies could find nothing to charge against him. So they had to create a law saying, well, we can't find anything he can do, so let's, let's make it that he can't pray to his God. You would think that he was in a no-win situation. He either gave up his God, which then they could criticize him, well, your God was only a convenience, so, you know, so that you'd look good, or he prayed and they had him thrown into the, you know, the lion's den. They thought they had won no matter which way, the, no matter which way Daniel chose. And Daniel was delivered from the lion's den. But we need to be aware, God puts blessings out there and he's going to give us blessings we sow good seed and we reap a, a harvest from that good seed and it could be just the just the idea of the peacefulness that i don't have to worry about anything anybody's going to say because i'm not guilty of anything to be charged with and you think about how much good is that peace you know that peace alone in our heart is a great benefit when things are, when everybody's trying to find little things wrong with you and you know that you have integrity in your life and that you have nothing people can charge you with without making things up. And we know that they can do that, but God still will be the one who's in charge then. This whole idea of the blessing, and then God gives us blessings on top of that. You know, sometimes material blessings. Definitely heavenly blessings that we're going to be looking at for being obedient and raising up our children. But you know, one of the great joys when you raise your children in godliness is to watch them live in a godly lifestyle. And even when they do fall, they don't fall as deep as many other people do, then they come back. But we look and we raise them up in godliness. We raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the scriptures. We give them discipline in their life. And this is important for things. I, I love it when my, call, my kids call and you go, and they go, Dad, we were just talking about this and it's amazing that nobody else <laughs> understands it or uh, I, you know, this is what we were talking about and I seemed to, you know, I had the answers that, and, this, and I'm going, yeah, you learned a lot over the years. And they never thought they were being taught. It was just little things, just like I do around here, talk to people and we open the scriptures and we share the scriptures and we lived a lifestyle that shows them a different way of living. And, I, and I've shared with you the time I was taking the youth group down and I didn't see the speed limit sign and I got pulled over, but it made, and you know, lucky I only got a warning, but I, it gave the kids a way to see how does a Christian react to authority figures even when it's inconvenient. Because a bunch of the kids were going, boy, you're different than my dad. My dad would be cussing and swearing and, and you know, wanting to kill that guy. You know, I go, well, it's... I didn't see the speed signs, but I deserve whatever I get. You know, but it, it gave people a chance to see how do Christians react? How do Christians react to authority? How do they react to unjust laws? How do they react to temptation? We look at Joseph being tempted in, in Potiphar's house. Uh, the wife, you know, Potiphar's wife arranged it for just the two of them. And, and Joseph did what every young red-blooded man would do. He, he ran away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, he didn't act on his nature because he could have said, well, I'm, I'm 
hundreds of miles from home. I'm never going to go see home. Who cares? Uh, you know, God has been so mean to me, and he could have given in to his sinful lifestyle, a, a sinful lifestyle, and justified it. But he goes, no, I'm going to honor God. And he ended up being thrown into prison for, for rape charges. <laughs> but still, that was for God's blessing in the long run. We need to always be aware we want to live the way God does. Not because we can justify just about anything in our mind. Uh, you know, going back to the idea of the divorce. You know, somebody's just being, you know, uh, having a really bad time. Well, you 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 deserve to be good. You know, have be happy. You deserve to to not be treated that way. And we justify everything in our mind. And we can even justify even more serious things. The the thief, if they're hungry enough, justifies stealing food because they're hungry. When I was younger, I justified being a workaholic and never being at home because I was raising a family that needed money. Now, I wasn't really raising a family. I was just providing money for them. Uh, but in my mind, I was doing what I had to do and what was best for the family, even though God says I was supposed to be with my family, training my family up. We can justify just about anything in our minds if we're not following God's standards. And this is why it's important for us to bring the standards in and, and let him multiply. Let him bless because he will bless. He will provide. Verse 22 says, and, and if, so anytime we see if, we want to know what's going on. If you diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do. All right, so all the commandments, and we know that uh, the Jews have counted it up, and they, they say there's 613 commandments. Uh, which is a lot of commandments. Uh, but even if you want to concentrate on just the ten that we think of, most there's not a soul that keeps the ten commandments alone. And then you take it to Jesus. You're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we can't even keep the two that Jesus gives us. <laughs> so no matter what we do, we can't win in the commandment department. But, you know, we can try to be obedient through his strength. And... He says, if you keep my commandments, you love the Lord, your God, and walk in his ways, and you cleave to him. I love this word, cleave. You, you hold on tight. You're glued together to him. How easy is it for some Christians, maybe even for some of us in this room, to kind of push God away and say, well, God, you know, you've got this standard, but I'm going to go over here on my own and do what I think is good. How often do we lean on our own understanding and kind of push away God's, God's truth? This is the hardest thing for us to learn because we look at it by sight. God's looking down the road and saying, I know what's good for you. Follow my ways. And we all know how easy it is, especially when we were younger. How easy was it to tell a lie? I didn't do that. You know, I, I get away with it in the short term, maybe. <laughs> But eventually, it co comes and catches up with us. Uh, I loved it one time when, I, when we were asking our kids who got into the chocolate chip cookies, and they all denied it with chocolate smeared all over their face. And not me, not me. <laughs> I go, aha. How did the cookie get all over your face? Uh, but you know, we do the same thing with God all the time in our lives. We kind of just say, God, I'm going to do it my way. I think my way is going to work. I know what you say, God, but... I don't know that I trust your word. And this is why it is important for us to begin to get to the place where we trust God's word no matter what. His words are right. He knows what he is asking us to do and he knows what's right and he knows what's wrong and he knows what will give us blessing in the long run. And too often we kind of try to do things our way and kind of push him away instead of drawing close to him, hiding in him. Verse 30, 23 says, then, if we are being obedient, we're holding on to God, he says, I will drive out all these nations before you, and you shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place where your souls your feet shall tread shall be yours, from the wilderness of Lebanon and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the uttermost sea shall be your coast. When we obey God, and we are cleaving to him, we're hiding in him, he wins the victories for us. This is something that's important for us to understand. When we trust in him, we're following him, 
We're hiding in him, like he tells us so often in, in the scriptures. He is our defender. He is the one that wins the battles. And we see this over and over in the scriptures. I love the story of Gideon. And if you're, you, know, you probably know the story of Gideon. God calls him to fight the, the enemy. He goes out. He finds 30,000 people to, to go into battle against. You know, even at that rate, it was going to be uh, a three-to-one battle against him. And God says, oh, you've got way too many people. He cuts it down to about 10,000. Know, so it's now one, one in 10. <laughs> and God says, oh, you still have way too many people. Cuts him down to 300. Now Gideon is rightly kind of concerned. Okay, God, uh, you know, I don't know about your plan, but you know, I didn't think we would win when it was three to one. And now you've got us down to 300 to, against one. And God says, okay, if you're really that worried, go down in their camp. And he hears them telling about their vision. And Gideon is a stone rolling down and crushing them. And they're, and they're afraid of Gideon. Okay, they're not afraid of Gideon's army. They're not afraid of anything. They're afraid of Gideon. And, God, and he goes back very ready to fight because God has shown him, I've put the fear of them, just as he says here, the people will have a great fear. I will drive them out. When we see all through Judges, the same thing, where they would go against these crazy odds and God would raise up and drive them out. And when... The spies were sent in just before they're going to go into the promised land with Joshua. What does Rahab tell Joshua and Joshua spies? Uh, we're afraid of you because we've heard what God, what God did to Egypt. That was 40 years earlier. <laughs> and they had heard what God had done and were afraid of the Jewish people. Not because they were afraid of the Jews, they were afraid of God. If we will just stand up for God, God will be our defender. He will be our deliverer. Maybe that takes us into death, which there's nothing wrong with being killed as a Christian because that means that we get to go to heaven sooner. Matter of fact, the, it's, it's harder on us if he says you have to live for a little bit more and go through more trials and tri tribulations. We have to really understand that as a Christian, death is not a harm for us death is deliverance into the kingdom and that you know we need to be getting to that point i love the picture of stephen being stoned and he stands up and he looks up to heaven and says behold the son of god standing at the right hand of the father i don't think he felt another stone after he saw jesus his mind was focused on going home and his body may have been standing there i don't think he was there any longer that's my personal opinion he saw Jesus and he wasn't there anymore. He went home. And the body got beat up and broken in, in the stoning, but he didn't. But God delivers. He protects. He will either take us through death to, to home or he will keep us through the trials that we have to face. We look at Paul. I mean, how would you like to be Paul? Scourged multiple times, shipwrecked, hungry, starved, stoned, you know, he, he probably wished he had died and gone to heaven because of all the pain that he went through. And at the end of his life, he says, I bear the marks of Christ in my body. Mm -hmm. Why? Because God gave him the grace to be able to suffer. And this is the important thing. If we are to suffer for Christ, he will give us the grace to suffer. If we're not to suffer, he'll either deliver us through the suffering and bring us home, or he will deliver us out of the suffering and keep us. Now most of us want to prefer to be delivered out of, okay, and not through, but God will do what it takes. I've always loved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's answer to Nebuchadnezzar when he says, who can deliver you from me? And their answer was, we don't know if our God will deliver us. He is able to, but whether he does or whether he doesn't, we will not serve your gods, Nebuchadnezzar. They were ready to die for God. And they fully expected to die for God. And God delivered them. Daniel, knowing the lion's den, faced him for praying, fully expected to die when he was cast in the lion's den. I'm sure he fully expected to die and be in God's presence. And yet God delivered him through. So we want to be aware God has blessing for obedience. And I love it here because 
we look at this everywhere that the soles of your feet, the wilderness, that was where they were at right then on the west side of the Jordan. Lebanon, which is all that area to the, to the north, northwest of them. And then he says to the river, the great river Euphrates. And then all the way back over to the Mediterranean. The only time Israel has ever had all their land in their history was under David and Solomon. That was the only time they've ever had all the land that God's promised them until we get to the millennial kingdom when, when Jesus will rule and give them the land that belongs to them because he's just going to give it to them. And there won't be anybody to question him because he's the ruler. That will be the only other time that they will own all their land. And this defines to us how big was that land? Everywhere that Abraham had tread. Where did he start? He started in the Ur of the Chaldees, which on the easternmost part of the north side of the Euphrates. He went up the Euphrates up north to, the, to uh, Haran. Then he came down through the upper part of the, the peninsula, through Lebanon into the Promised Land, wandered around all the Promised Land, including Egypt and, and on the other side of the Jordan. And God eventually, under David, gave him all the land that he had walked on and showed that he was true and that he will be true in the future when the son of David, Jesus, rules during the millennial kingdom. But he says, everything, I am going to do it. We need to be able to learn to trust more in God. And say, God, what is it that you want to do? What is it that you want to do for me, God? How are you going to bless? How are you going to handle these things? And the amazing thing that I have found, the more you depend on God, the more he fulfills his word. When we try to get in his way, he'll step back and say, okay, you think you can do it, go ahead, go for it. You can go ahead and try to make things happen. You can try to make things happen and, and see what you can do. You want to defend yourself, you want to try to take the land, you want to try to do things, go ahead. But you know what? My experience in my life is every time I try to do something, I mess it up. And God opposes it when I want to do it my way. It's not just Satan in opposition to me when I want to do it my way. God says, oh, you want to do it yourself? I'm going to oppose you. And it doesn't work. Look at what Abraham did when he tried to do things his way. He's in Egypt, uh, worried that they're going to kill him to take Sarah away from him. Oh, she's just my sister. You know, just my sister. And she was his sister, half-sister, but he was also his wife. He lied, he lied to the other nation saying, she's my sister. He decided that, God, you're, not, you're working too slow on giving me my son, so you know, I'm going to listen to Sarah, and we're going to, I'm going to go into Hagar, and we're going, to, we're going to help you, God. We're going to help you out, God. You're just, you've, kind of, you've lost track of what's going on. And ended up having Ishmael as a son, who's been a, a thorn in the side of Israel ever since, with all the nations that Ishmael... Uh, developed and all of a sudden there's all these problems that are in the Middle East because Abraham decided to help God. How many problems in our life do we have because we decided to try to help God at some point in our life? God, let me just help you. You're not moving fast enough in my life. I, I think we need to do this. And we've done something that has caused a problem for the rest of our life. And that is true. We don't often think about what it is we're doing. We don't often think about how we're trying to do it. But God is saying, when we try to do it in ourselves, because we're not following his word, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a great verse to memorize. Mm -hmm. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Every time we try to do our, lean on our own understanding, he doesn't direct our paths. And he stands in opposition to us because he's not going to let our, fla our flesh get glory, especially as his children. Now, if you're a lost person not following God, no big deal. You're not one of his kids anyway. He's not going to, he's, he's going to let you get away with things. But when we're his children, doing things the way we want to and not his way, he's going to stand in opposition and say, no, your flesh isn't going to stand. You're going to do it the way I've asked you to do it. And this is very important for us to, to keep hold of. 
And he says he's going to deliver. And then verse 35, There shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon the land, and ye shall tread upon it as he has said unto you. This is something, we talked about this just, I think it was last night even. When we share the gospel with people and they get mad at us and they get irritated with us, if we've used God's word and we've actually given them the gospel, what happens so, much, so many times when they are laying down in bed? I just can't believe what that Ralph said to me this afternoon. You know, he actually believes that there's a God. I wonder if there is a God. You know, no, he, he really believes there's a God. You know, but we, we, they, in their bed, rehearsing what you've said, wondering, what if they're right? And God and the Holy Spirit starts working on them. Every time? No. But how many times have you heard somebody's testimony was, somebody witnessed to them, and in the middle of the night, they were awakened and struggled with what they heard. Because God is convicting. God is making those changes. And we want to be aware that we just want to share. And I'm not saying you be a nuisance. Every time you see somebody, you've got to preach the gospel to them. You, know, you don't want to be obnoxious and, and that. But when you're with family, do they, have they heard the gospel from you? you know, have they heard it in the last year? You know, at least a yearly reminder of the gospel is probably not going to be a bad thing. But if you're trying to give them the gospel every time you see them, that might be just a little bit too much for family. Because you need to let God do the work. And maybe it's not too much. I mean, if that's what God puts on your heart, tell him every time. But you know, we need to be aware of eternity is a big deal. We as Christians deal in eternity because that's where we're looking to, to go home. The world deals only in this, in this realm because this is all they really know. Now, they have an eternity. They're going to be in hell for eternity. But they're not usually thinking about eternity on a, on a constant basis. As a Christian, I'm always thinking about eternity because I want to go home. <laughs> I'm looking forward to going home. So I'm always in the process of thinking, I just want to get as close to God. I want to live in eternity. But I also want my friends, my neighbors, my family to be in heaven. And I've got family members that I'm worried about where they are with God. Because they have not listened. They have not apparently accepted Christ. Now, I can't say sometimes whether they did or didn't, but you, know, you watch the way they live, and they're no interested in the Bible. They're no interested in God's in prayer. They're no interested in going, being with God's people. And you go, I don't know. <laughs> you, you should be in love with God's people if you're in love with God. Does that mean we're going to like everybody that's God's people? No, I didn't say we're going to like them. We're to love them. <laughs> and there's a big difference between love and like. Love is a choice, and we say, I'm going, to, I'm going to love this person, just as God loves us. And when he has to give people, I can imagine at the white throne judgment that God's heart is going to be broken as he sends people to hell, which is what they desired by rejecting the Son. And he's going to show them the times that he rejected, and he's going to be heartbroken sending them to, give, sending them to hell as, they re, as they've desired. But he's only given them what they asked for. They rejected him. And we need to be able to say, God, you're the one that's out there. And you'll be surprised how many people actually fear the presence of God that, when you bring it into, the, into, their, into their lives. There are people that I have seen that get very uptight when a Christian just shows up. You don't even have to say a word. You've brought God into their presence and God is convicting them. They're, 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 they have this fear that you might be right. And I love that question. In, in the way of the master, they, the question they teach people to say is, you know, when they go, well, I hope my good is, is better than, you know, going to outweigh my bad. Well, what if you're wrong? What, if the, what is the result if you're wrong and I'm right? You're headed to hell. Is that something that you're ready to do? And be ready because it'll answer you, well, what if you're wrong? And I'm going, you know what? I have lost nothing. I have lived a great life and God has greatly blessed my life. And even if there's no heaven, I have lost nothing with the peace I've had and the, and the calmness and the, and the fact that God has blessed me so well. I am not worried. I have lost nothing. But because of my blessings, I know that there's a heaven. What is yours based on? And again, we turn it back around on them. Quit trying so hard and let God change you. It's very foolish to the, to the worldly mind because they're going, 
Well, I've got to be good. You know, how many times have you shared the gospel with somebody and they go, well, I just can't give up all this sin or that sin. My answer to them is, have I said anything about giving up anything? Well, no, but if I become God's, I've got to do that. No, no. God just wants you to become his child. He will then teach you what you're going to give up. And when you're ready, when he asks you to give it up, it won't be a burden. The things that God has asked me to give up in my life, by the time he asks me to give it up, he's already worked it into my psyche to be ready to give it up anyway. I was headed that direction to begin with. And he says, no, here we go. Are you ready to do it? He teaches us. He grows us. And this is one of the things that I talk with people so often. They go, you know, how do you witness to a Muslim? Well, we're, we're sinners. We, des we deserve hell and Jesus paid for the price. We need to accept him as our Lord and Savior. If they don't believe in Jesus, that's not my problem. The gospel is the same message. How do you, pre how do you witness to a, uh, to a Mormon? We're sinners, deserve hell. Jesus died for our sins. You need to accept him and he is the, the, the one and only son of God. He is God. We need to make sure we can some places clarify, but we, the message is still the same. The me gospel message never changes depending on who we're talking to, and we can never argue somebody into the kingdom. This is something we have to be aware of. We're to be able to give answers for what we believe and why we believe it, but we can't argue somebody in the kingdom because if we can argue them in, somebody else is going to come along and argue them back out. Because if all they're doing is a mental, factual assent to God, they have not truly, completely believed and turned their life over to God. When they turn their life over to God and they have a relationship with God, nothing is going to take them away from God. Because that's when you go, uh-uh, I felt the sin come off of me. I felt the joy that he gave me. I see the blessings that God has given me. And I understand that I am a new creation. Do I necessarily have this bright, shining, emotional moment? Not always. Some people don't have it. Some people grow in that relationship. But there should be that moment where you know God has come into my life. I love it when I sit there and I pray with somebody and you can just look at their face and you see the change. You see the, the weight of the world lifted up. Even if they don't feel it, you see... The, the weight of the world that's been lifted from somebody. And then they learn. They share the gospel with people and they just get excited about God and they start feeling the difference in their life and they start feeding on God's word. And he starts giving them a new way of thinking. Very critical that we get to this place and people will fear God's presence that is brought in. Many places where I was managing, I did not have to tell people they couldn't swear, they couldn't do this, they couldn't do that. I was a Christian, God's presence was there, and they responded. I don't, think I, ever, I don't think I've hardly ever told anybody, no, you can't use God's name in vain in my presence. But I've had people say, oops, I didn't mean to do that. You're not offending, and I'll even tell them, you're not offending me, it's God that you've offended. He says, don't use your, his name in vain, you're, you need to be telling him you're sorry, not me, because I'm not their judge. I have a hard enough time judging myself and trying to make sure that I'm doing right things. I don't, I don't have time to be everybody else's judge around me. That's between them and God. I'm going to, if I love them and God has put me in a special place with them, I'll tell them, you know, you probably shouldn't do that. You know, it's not really wise and here's God's word and this is what you should be doing. But even that is going to be in great love, humility, and fear that I'm stepping places that I'm not supposed to step in. And if I have a relationship with, with my when we were raising the kids, we were, a lot, we were a lot more judgmental on the kids because we were trying to teach them to walk in godly ways. Different people that I have discipled over the years, I'm a lot harder on them than I would be anybody else because I want them to grow in Christ and say, you know, I'm really concerned because you've been doing this, that, or the other thing, and I'm really concerned that you need to get back in your walk with Christ. Why? Not because I'm judging them, but because I am more as the father to them, the, the teacher, and I want to say, this is where you should be. You need to grow in this area. I had many people in my life that did that to me, and I didn't, didn't always like what they heard, but I know they loved me, and I knew that they were trying to make my walk better. But do I do it to every single person? 
No. Because some people I just don't have the relationship with. I pray for them. I say, well, this, they claim to be a Christian. I'm going to pray for them. They need, they need some serious help in their walk, God, from what I can see. But I'm going to just pray for them and say, God, you help them. Other people I'm going to go, hey, you know, we need to get this worked out. And we want to be able to do this with one another. We want to be able to challenge one another to live stronger, to live closer to God. But again, what have I always said? If you're not praying for somebody, you have no right to be judging their life at all, much less talking to them. The worst thing you can do is, if you're not praying for somebody and go tell them what, all the things they're doing wrong in their life, you, usually they'll look at you and who do you think you are is what they're going to tell you. They might be nice Christian and not say it to your face, but in their mind they're going, who do you think you are judging me? You know, I don't know you from... You know, from Adam barely, and you're trying to tell me how to live my life. If you're not praying for somebody, you don't have a relationship, pray for them. That's all you can do. If you've developed a relationship with them, and you love them enough, then you go up to and you've been praying for them, and then you go up and say, you know, and it has to be in love. You know, all of us have had people come to us in love and tell us that they, there's things that we're doing that they're bothered. But we've also all had people who are just coming at us with no love in their heart, and we know the difference. When, when, and you come away feeling like you've just been attacked, or you feel like, okay, I don't like what they said, but you know, I know they love me, and you know, I can, I, and the way they approached me, is in love, and that is a very important key. If we love one another and we come to one another in love, you can say just about anything you want to somebody when it is truly in love. And that doesn't mean, oh, brother, I want to tell you this in love as you, as you drop a ton, a ton of bricks on them. You know, that's not necessarily love. You could use the word love, but that's not being loving necessarily. But you can tell them, you know, I'm just so concerned. You know, I've seen this in your life, and I'm just really concerned, and I've been praying for you. That may be all you have to do to get them to start thinking about, oh, well, maybe I do need to change. And when we bring God into a situation his presence will lead and he will drive out the enemy from before us. Verse 26 says, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. Even to this day, God has put a blessing and a curse before us. And a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord, which your God, which I command you this day. So obedience brings blessing. And a curse, if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which, I, which you have not known, it shall come to pass when the Lord your God has brought you into the land, whether you, possess, whether you go to possess it, that you shall put the blessings upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal. So two big mountains in Israel that he says, one will be, when you look at that mountain, you're going to think of the curse. When you look at the other one, you're going to think about the blessing. God is challenging us even this day. Walk according to the way he has asked us to walk. We are not under the law, but that does not mean that the law has no worth. When we are obedient to the law, we have blessings. If we are disobedient to the law, just because we can be, because we're not under the law, then we are under the curse of being disobedient. And this is something we've got to remember. Every act has a repercussion to it. And the repercussion is more than was planted. All right? This is always the case. When you plant a seed, you do not expect to get one seed in return. Okay? I planted my seed of corn and I got... One little, not even an ear of corn, but one little kernel of corn is not what I'm expecting. Okay? I don't even want just one ear of corn if I plant the, plant the corn. I'm wanting several ears of corn on my stock of corn. If I plant a tomato plant, I'm not looking for one little tiny seed to come off of a plant. I'm looking for a harvest of tomatoes. Our good and our bad seeds have the same rules. <laughs> but you think about this. Somebody goes out and commits fornication. You know, they may get away with it the first time they think. But there's repercussions just from that one act. 
and there could possibly be serious repercussions that they're going to face for the rest of their life, such as sexually transmitted diseases or pregnancies or any number of other problems that can happen because you have violated God's word. And we want to be very careful because he says right here, a curse and a blessing is put in front of us. We can be obedient or disobedient. We can sow the right seed or the wrong seed and we can reap the harvest and will reap the harvest. And many people have seen the harvest years and years later. Somebody goes out and, and gets drunk or loaded and ends up crashing their car, if they're lucky enough not to hurt somebody else and just themselves, and they hurt their body. And yes, they get through that and they grow, but then as they get to be a senior adult and they end up with the aches and pains of the, the broken bones and everything that are the result of the damage they've done to their body. The immunity do they destroy to their body just by all the years of abusing their body. And they get to later in life and realize they're suffering because of their disobedience. And this is true. I use those ones because those are very obvious ones that we all know the results from. But every sin has a consequence that will affect us for a long period of time. If nothing else, it breaks our fellowship with God and gives us a conviction and a, and a place where until God gives us, we accept God's forgiveness, that we have a dark place in our life that we keep, try to keep hidden from God. And this is why repentance is so important. We don't repent so that we will be forgiven and go to heaven. We repent so that our relationship with God is restored. Because when there's a sin in our life, it breaks the fellowship with God. It doesn't immediately send us to hell. Okay? If we have Jesus Christ in our heart and we've sinned, we will lose our fellowship with him. We will lose the joy of our salvation. But we do not lose our salvation. We repent and we get that restored. And that is what repentance is all about. When I am angry with a fellow brother or sister and I hold that in my heart, that's a dark spot in my heart that keeps me from fellowship. And God's saying, you need that fellowship restored because it's a dark spot. It's keeping you and him out of, re out of fellowship. And we go and we repent. We, we get that restored as best as we can. Then may, they may, whether they accept the apology or accept it doesn't matter because we've done our part and God and we're restored with God. They can stay dark if they want. That's up to them. But we need to be able to say there's a curse and a blessing. And again, we come back to, am I in God's word? Am I thinking the way he wants me to think or am I thinking the way the world thinks? It is so much of a blessing to grow in Christ, to start thinking more and more like him. Every year it gets easier to do as I've walked with God and I'm saying, God, I'm walking with you. I'm growing with you. And more and more light gets shined in. And because we want to remember that our walk with God is a walk and it is growing. Every year that we're with him, every year that we're feeding ourselves spiritual food, every year that we're learning about him, we're growing. And just as we grow in this real life. We start out crawling. We can't get around hardly. You know, we start out rolling. We don't even start around crawling. We, we roll around, then we crawl, then we start walking, then we start running. But then we don't just stop at that, do we? If you're going to grow, you learn to do more. You, know, you learn to play ball. You learn to dance. You learn to sew. You learn to do more fine details because you're growing in other areas. We will continually grow with God the entire time we're on this planet because there's new stuff he wants to teach us, new levels of trust, new levels of when everything looks like it's the wrong way to trust him and we say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk through the shadow of the valley of death because you said that there's no evil to fear and we walk in obedience and we watch him, we watch him give us the blessings of being obedient. When it doesn't look like it's the right decision from the, from the world, he says, I want you to walk through this narrow pathway. And it doesn't look good. You can't see, you can't see very far down the path. It's, he gives us the light for where we're at today. And the thing I've shared with people is, if he showed us where we're going to be 20 years from now, we'd probably be scared to death sometimes when, he's, when we realize what he's asking us to do. Have you looked at your life and said, 
this is what God's doing to me. And think back 10, 20 years ago, I never thought I would ever be doing whatever it is he's got you doing. And you go, wow, how far, I, how far has he moved me? How far, is it, how far am I moved into his life? And look at all the things he's done for me. Most people that end up teaching and everything never dreamed, you know, most people don't aspire to be a pastor or, or a teacher or all these different things. And that was not what I really wanted. Even though I knew God called me to do it, I kind of fought him against it, becoming a pastor. I didn't really want to become a pastor because I knew how serious the job was. And I'm glad that God didn't allow me to be a pastor early on because I had a lot of learning to do. But, and I hear many of these pastors that I listen to, they all say this pretty much the same thing. I never thought I would be a pastor. I never, I didn't grow up thinking one day I'm going to be a great pastor <laughs> on the radio being preaching to the world. <laughs> that is not usually where even most pastors ever think of. Now, I got to get into a pastor so my sermons can be heard around the world on radio. Now, maybe there are a handful out there that are, that's what their aspirations are, but I'm not sure that they are godly in that aspiration. That is what their goal is. Your goal should be to love people and train up people and disciple people. And verse 30 says, Are they not on the other side of the Jordan by the way where the sun goes down in the land of the Canaanites, which dwell in the campaign over against Gilgal in the midst of beside the plains of Moab. So he says these mountains, these mountains that are blessing and cursing, they're on the west side of the Jordan. Remember, they're still on the east side of the Jordan. They have not crossed into the promised land yet. Moses is going and reviewing their history and their law because they've been wandering the desert for 40 years. Their parents who saw Egypt be destroyed are dead. Uh, the the older, older ones that are there, they were children when God destroyed Egypt. And, God is, and Moses is reviewing with them. This is what God has done for you. I want to remind you, this is what God's done for you. This is our job as Christians. Remember what God has done for us. Remember what he's taught us. Remember what he's asked us to do. Remember what he's called you to do. Remember, because it's so easy to forget. How easy is it when everything seems to be going wrong for us to say, God, I just don't know what you're doing here. And if we're not very careful in holding on to his promises, we can turn away from him. My favorite thing, when everything seems to be going wrong, I grab hold of Romans 8:28, For all things work together for good for those who called according to the purpose of God. And when everything seems to be going wrong and I'm holding on to the very end of that rope, I'm going, God, I don't understand this, but you say it's for good. Maybe not for my good, but you say it's for good. So I'm going to hold on to that promise with everything I've got while you drag me through the middle of all this because you say there's something good in the end. And there is always something good at the end. We may not see it in the middle of it, but there is something good. Even when his saints die and are called home, people look at the way his saints die and say that person died with God. That person died praising God. And I tell you, one of my favorite stories out of the Fox's Book of Martyr is the father and son that are getting ready to be burned at the stake. And the father is the one whose faith wavers. And the son says, well, father, we'll go up there and when you, when we'll look and when we see God as, as Stephen saw God, we'll raise our hands and start praising. And the son got the privilege of going first because his faith was steadfast and in the middle of the flames, licking his body, he looked up and he raised his hands and started praising God. And the father said, God is real. And the father went to his death more motivated because he saw the, the faith that God gave, the grace that he gave his son. Even in death, we can be an example to the world. And we want to be able to do that. I've... I've talk to different people who's known people who are dying of cancer on their deathbed, witnessing to the nurses and the doctors because they're not worried about where they're going. They're going home and they're going, don't, don't worry about it. I'm going home. I'm going home. I know a man who did that. I wasn't there at the day, but the guys, his family and things, people said he was giving the gospel message to the nurses <laughs> as he's dying. <laughs> You know, and just a few seconds after that, he died. Smile on his face because he went home. 
And he was witnessing right up to the very end, <laughs> saying, don't worry about me. I'm going home. I'm going to have be a perfect peace in just a few, you know, in a very short time. And we need to have that attitude of, I trust in God no matter what. Because God has good in store for us. And it may be good that somebody takes our life and gets blessed by our life. It can be the pain in our life being something that is an example to others of the steadfast love and endurance from God. But we need to be ready to lift him up. And the last verse says, For you pass over Jordan, for you shall pass over Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you shall possess it and dwell therein. Okay? You're going to go into the land, and you shall or you will possess it. God's promises are something that we can grab hold of. When he says he's going to bless us, he will bless us. Our job is to recognize the blessings. Sometimes we don't recognize the blessings that are coming our way. Job never thought that the suffering that he went through was a blessing. But you know, at the end of his life, God told him how steadfast he was and how he was an example of integrity and patience. We never know exactly how God's going to use the trials that we go through to minister to others. And we want to be careful that we don't define blessings so narrow that we go, God, you didn't give me a million dollars, so you didn't bless me. <laughs> well, I gave you peace. I put a roof over your head. I put you in a good church. You, know, you were taught the gospel. You were able to lead these people to the Lord. How, how are you defining blessing? We need to be very careful that we don't define blessings so narrow that we miss the blessings, that we don't see how others are being reached. And verse 22, and, when you, and you shall observe to do all the statutes and judgments which I set before you this day. God says, I put them before you. I want you to serve. And we see that Israel is going to go up and down between serving and not serving. All the days of the judges, they... They go along and they start doing what's good in their own eyes and God judges them and they get, the, they get judged for a while and they get, then they repent and God redeems them. And we see all of this and that's the cycle of, of righteousness. People follow God and then they start drifting away. And we're seeing that even in our nation, our nation started with godly principles under Christian values and the further we're getting away from it, we're at a point now where, yes, we can repent. This nation can repent and turn back to God. Will it? I'm not very sure. I don't hold out a lot of hope. I pray that it does. I'd like to see a great national revival and turning back to God. I don't know that it's possible outside of God doing it. It won't happen. But if it doesn't happen, we face judgment because that is what God promises. Judgment to those nations that don't follow his ways. And even in that, God will bless us as we follow him and we lift him up. Even in judgment and trials, God's people are blessed. And God gives us the grace to go through whatever it is he's going to ask us to go through. And always keep that in mind. Whatever God has in store for you, he will give you the grace to go through it. If he asks you to die a martyr's death, he will give you the grace to die the martyr's death. If, he gives you, if he's asking you to go through, as Paul, all the pain and suffering of, of, of tortures, he will give you the grace to go through all the pain and suffering of tortures. He will give us the grace when we need it to go through whatever it is he asks us to do. He told the disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say in front of the, in front of the courts. I will fill your mouth with the words. Doesn't mean don't study. Doesn't mean don't be prepared. But he says, I will fill your mouth. And I have seen over and over in my lifetime when I've opened my mouth to speak for God, he has filled my mouth with words. And he says, there you go. And Because I've already told you, if, I, if I'm the one speaking, it's not going to be very good. I don't think that quick. I don't think that well. But God can fill our mouth. And you will find when you're sharing the gospel, when you're teaching somebody, you're sharing with somebody what God has shared you, and God is the one that's filling your mouth, you might be, you might be amazed at what you're hearing yourself say. Because you'll know it's your voice and you'll know it's not you. 
When Stephen stood up and gave that testimony, it was the Holy Spirit talking. It was not his eloquence and his, his speech that put that, that uh, speech in front of the people. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. Paul on the day of Pente uh, Peter on the day of Pentecost, it wasn't Peter speaking during that period. You know, it was the Holy Spirit speaking through him. When, and we know the difference. Hopefully you've been there where the Holy Spirit is speaking through you. When you've just opened your mouth in obedience and God has spoken. And it's amazing when you just step back and you're kind of listening to yourself and being taught by, your, by what's coming out of your own mouth. But God delivers. He protects. He will speak for us when we just open up our mouth and are prepared. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that you are the one that cares for us, that you are our deliverer. You are our protector. You are the one that gives us blessings when we are obedient to you. And we just thank you and ask you to be with us as we go out tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.